14, John chapter 14, and we are going to continue on in our We Believe series this morning by looking at the gift of the Holy Spirit, and um, it's one of a couple of sermons that we're going to give, but this one is um, the next in line in our statement of faith. So um, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18, and if you don't mind, just standing for the reading of the word this morning. John 14, 15 through 18. The apostle writes this, Jesus speaking, Holy Spirit communicating to us this morning specifically in this as the authoritative word of God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see more of you this morning by the power of the spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The main point that I want to make this morning is is simply this. The Holy Spirit is a gift of grace to be our personal helper that we would know the nearness and power of God now and forever. The Holy Spirit is a gift of grace to be our personal helper that we would know the nearness and power of God now and forever. I was thinking just as we were praying that how desperate we are for Um, a sense of the nearness and power of God in this moment. Not not simply because we are needy in this moment, but we're always needy. But specifically in this moment, for all these people that we've prayed for, for all these people that are on your own prayer list, for others who we're going to pray for in just a little bit, there is so much need for the Holy Spirit to move, for Christ to be made much of, and so we come desperate. And the Holy Spirit is a gift of grace from the Father through the Son to be our personal helper that we would know the nearness and power of God now and forever. Now, Jesus was getting ready at this point to depart in this, in this book, in John. He was getting ready to depart from his disciples to ascend to the right hand of the Father from which he will rule and reign, and he does rule and reign today, and from where he will return for his people eternally at that point, separating the Sheep from the goats, those who believe in him, trust in him, and those who don't. He wanted the disciples to know that though he was departing, there was no plan for him to leave them as orphans. Um, You might might imagine that they were so close to Jesus, so close to spending time with him uh, one-on-one or 11-on-one specifically, uh, to be able to spend time with him walking together and talking together, that it would have been discouraging them to think that he was going away. And he, in essence, said, it's better if I go away so that the gift of the Holy Spirit can be sent um, to reside with us, to strengthen us, to sanctify us, to empower us for ministry, and to keep us until that day Jesus returns. So the Holy Spirit is a gift to us to be our personal helper forever. What is it we believe then about the Spirit? Each of us have beliefs about the Spirit or thoughts about the Spirit, but what is it that Sovereign Grace Church Dayton believes about the Spirit? What is it your pastors believe about the Spirit? What is it, hopefully, 
What is it that Orthodox Christianity has understood for 2,000 years-ish about the Spirit? What has he done? What does he continue to do? So who is the Spirit? What's he done? And what does he continue to do? Those are the three questions that I want to go after this morning and just talk about those together. And then we will have a little bit of application. Who is the Holy Spirit? First question. Our statement of faith says this. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. He is equal in deity, attributes, and nature with the Father and the Son, and with them is to be worshipped and glorified. So that's, that's who the Spirit is. He is a person. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a ghost. He's not some sort of mystical appendage that comes out of either the Father or the Son. He is himself a person, the third person of the Trinity, not the least person of the Trinity, but a third person of the Trinity nonetheless, equal in every way. Jesus speaks of the Spirit in a certain way, in a, in a day when pronouns are questioned all around us, it's important for us to know that, Jesus, that the Spirit is not an it or a they or, or a she, for that matter. The Holy Spirit, Jesus speaks of, is masculine. And I simply say that not to make some sort of point about masculinity, I simply stated because the Bible states it with clarity. Jesus says, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The Holy Spirit has all the qualities of a personal being. He has a mind. He's filled with knowledge. He is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He's the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus states in the verse I just read that the spirit will teach us all things. So he knows all things to be able to teach us all things. Paul states that the spirit knows the mind of God. And who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God, God himself. He has emotions, holy emotions to be sure, never unleashing in an uncontrolled manner, but real emotions, real feelings nonetheless. We see in Romans that he groans, that he loves. We see in Ephesians that he can be grieved. We can grieve the Holy Spirit truly, not just some sort of mystical thing that he, what, you grieve him. We read in Acts that the Spirit chooses and plans. He directs his people. He guides his people. He sovereignly gives gifts to the children of God for the common good of the church. The Spirit talks. The Spirit directs. The Spirit testifies. The Spirit can be sinned against, just like you and I can be sinned against, except infinitely so, right? And lied to. He can be tested and he can be insulted. He is relational, this Spirit. He encourages. He strengthens. He teaches. He's a person. And he's a divine person, not the least person of the Trinity. Again, he is equal in deity, attributes of nature with the Father and the Son. Thomas Torrance says this. He says, the Spirit is not just something divine or something akin to God emanating from him, not some sort of action at a distance or some kind of gift detachable from himself. For in the Holy Spirit, God acts directly upon us himself. And in giving us his Holy Spirit, God gives us nothing, nothing less than himself. He's He's a person, divine, eternal person. Paul states emphatically that we are the temple of God. Why? 
because the Spirit of God resides in us. He dwells in us. When Ananias and Sapphira sinned, they didn't just sin against man. They did as, as bad as that was. They sinned against the Holy Spirit. They sinned against who? God. The Spirit is omniscient. The Spirit is omnipresent. The Spirit is omnipotent. He's eternal, he's holy, all attributes of God. He, he is the spirit of glory, 1 Peter 4, 14. He's the spirit of great grace, Hebrews 10, 29. He's the spirit of life, Romans 8, 2. He's the spirit of truth, John 14, 26. And he's the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Ephesians 1, 17. See, the Holy Spirit is, is, is not just a mystical power. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. Now, we might ask, okay, <clears throat> fine, what, why is that important? Well, first, it's of highest importance because it has to do with appropriate worship. We exist to glorify God, right? And that includes the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is a divine person alongside the Father and the Son, then he deserves to be worshiped alongside the Father and the Son. If we treat him as just an impersonal force or some sort of power sent from the Father or something like that, we would be robbing him of his glory, of, of what is due him. We won't be treating him with adoration and honor and respect and glory and majesty that a divine person is worthy of. So we worship God the Father as the song we just sang, said, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Second, it's of highest importance simply for practical reasons. From the Spirit comes the power to do all that God calls his followers to do in this world. There is a pursuit of the Holy Spirit that is necessary and right, but if we're not careful, we may inadvertently pursue the Spirit as some sort of power or thing to utilize by way of taking his personhood away and just seeing him as a power, as like the power of God that I need more of, which is true. We, need, we want more of the Spirit. But there is the reality, really, that we are called to yield to him as God. Rather than just attaining, trying to attain some sort of power from the Spirit, we yield to him as the third person of the Trinity. I think um, often in, in my own pursuit, in my own communication of pursuing the Spirit, of, of wanting more of the Spirit in my life, I, 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 I don't think that I believe this, but I, but I think inadvertently highlight this desire for more of the Spirit without, without the yielding to the Spirit as a primary thing. So yielding to the Spirit is, is a promise of being empowered by the Spirit when we yield to Him. When we yield to Him as God, well, He would fill us. And so we come humble. I think of shared things like that before, where I'm like, come underneath the word and we come humble. We say, Lord, please, I want to follow you. Just by way of a quick example, yesterday, so Mark and Becca are, and the girls are leaving for Turkey tomorrow. And so I was sad yesterday and sad today, and I'll be sad tomorrow. And, um, and, uh, and I, was, I was just kind of sitting in that sadness. And... You know, you start questioning things, like, 
man, I wish I was near family. I wish we were closer to family. I wish I could be like right there with them or with Gracie and Josiah down in Louisville. And, uh, and yet wanting to be here and loving here. And just this wrestling in the soul. It, it had those kind of wrestles, wrestlings. So I sat there, I was watching the Ohio State game, which, by the way, Rick, I've become an Ohio State fan. It's, it's much, I, f- I found it to be much easier to be an Ohio State fan than an Iowa fan. It's, uh, so it's much more enjoyable. Anyway, so I finally, finally took that on. But I was watching the game, and I just was sullen because I was struggling with this um, sadness. And so I felt like, man, I need to get a grip. And what I needed, and what I need in this moment, is, is to yield to the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit and say, Spirit, you, 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 lead, you lead my life. You, you direct me. You come and fill me afresh. Give me joy in the Spirit. Give me joy in Christ. Fill me with satisfaction, not in Ohio State or not in whoever, whatever, but in you to yield to him, to walk in humility with him. He's the one who comes and takes a hold of us. He's the one who comes and fills us. He's the one who glorifies Jesus through us as he wills. It's also of highest importance from the standpoint of our experience. Because knowing, knowing the Spirit as a person means the possibility of deep communion with him. Not simply just yielding to him, but having deep communion with him, with God. Uh, joy and love as we come to know our God as he dwells within us. God, God doesn't come to us through a, a lesser, impersonal kind of intermediary. He does not speak to us at a distance uh, and relate to us from far away. Instead, Father and Son send the Spirit, another advocate, a friend, a helper who comes to inhabit us, not just be around us, but to inhabit us and bring us into the very life of God through union with Christ. So those are just three reasons why it's important to understand that he is a person, divine person, that we can actually have a relationship with. And he's not just this power to, to attain like Simon the Magician would want. Like, well, I want to do that too. And so, so give me some of that power. No, I want to know God. I want to rest in God. I want to love God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Okay, second point. What has he done? What has the Spirit done? The Holy Spirit has accomplished so much and what he has done is absolutely crazy amazing he is everywhere and he does everything and everything he does is absolutely vital it's it's so vital in our statement of faith on page 35 if you have a little booklet it says this the spirit manifests god's active presence in the world giving life in god's creation and new creation existing forever with the father and the son the spirit is the agent of all blessing to god's creatures and makes possible communion with him And the statement of faith then goes on to talk about the incredible work of the Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I shared on this very thing just a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, and let let me summarize this morning. The Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son 
created the entire world, everything we see, everything we don't see. The Holy Spirit carried out the creative word of God and gives life to all things, every tree, every mountain, every river, every beach, every ocean, everything we love about this world. He was involved in creating all the food we love, all the animals and their amazing diversity. You ever seen planet Earth or something like that? It's just a crazy, amazing, the Spirit involved. And he was involved in creating men and women and giving us life. Every man and woman alive today is here because of the creative word of God carried out by the Spirit. And he also created the sun and the stars and the moon and the entire universe. And that's just the first page of the Bible. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is routinely present with his people. He is God's presence among his people, guiding them and leading them and protecting them and providing for them and delivering them and speaking to them. He inspired men to, pre, to, uh, to write the Old Testament scripture. Our statement of faith says, this way, it says it this way about the manifold work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The eternal spirit was present at the beginning of God's creation, carrying out the creative word of God and giving life to all things. In God's work under the old covenant, the Spirit was present with God's people to consecrate, deliver, guide, and grant saving faith in the promises of God. He empowered prophets to reveal God's word. He appointed elders to render judgment, raised up judges to bring deliverance, anointed priests and kings as his representatives, and inspired the record of old covenant revelation. Through all the institutions and offices of the Old Testament, the Spirit's work pointed to the ultimate revelation of God through his Son, Jesus Christ. There's so much more to be said about that. You can listen to, you can go on Church Center, look, look at our midweek gathering from a couple of weeks back and, and, and listen to more details about that. But we move on from the Old Testament and go to the New Testament. The Holy Spirit continues to do some massively important things. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have had strength to do what he did as fully man, including dying on the cross. However much of the Old Testament, however much the Old Testament saints had of the Spirit of God, Jesus has him entirely. As the Apostle John speaks of Jesus having the Spirit without measure in John chapter 3, verse 35 specifically. While Jesus, as fully God, never relinquished any of his deity, he did take on the nature of man, fully man, and as such also needed the gift of the Holy Spirit. A theologian named Mark Jones says this. He says, importantly, Christ's humanity, both body and soul, does not get lost in or gobbled up by his divinity. And because of this, Christ's humanity needed the Holy Spirit in order to have communion with God. His prayers to God were never simply the prayers of a man, nor even the prayers of the God-man to the Father, but more specifically, they were the prayers of the Son of God to the Father in the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was Jesus' companion during the entirety of his life as true man. And it's not a surprise, as Isaiah prophesies of the Messiah in Isaiah 11, he says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. We love this at Christmas time, right? And a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And then Jesus himself, quoting from Isaiah 61, says this about himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So from Jesus' conception in the womb by the Spirit to his baptism and subsequent temptation in the wilderness where he was driven by the Spirit and led by the Spirit in the wilderness in the general ministry of Jesus, including casting demons out by the Spirit of God, Matthew 12, 28, to even his death, there was the Holy Spirit active in the life of Jesus. And then on top of that, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And without the resurrection, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, our faith is futile and we're to be pitied more than all men. So these things that the Spirit is involved in is that they're, they're, they're absolutely vital. Think about what the Holy Spirit has done. And, and this that I just spoke of is just a fraction of it. After Jesus ascended, the Spirit of God came down at Pentecost and filled his first disciples and those that came after, including us today, to empower us for ministry, to strengthen and to sanctify and to grow us in ministry. That's a synopsis of what he did. Now, what does he continue to do today? Third point. And we ask this question because some would say that the Spirit doesn't continue to do what he used to do. And we're saying, uh, here, we believe that, yeah, yeah, he does. Our statement of faith says it this way. After Christ ascended to the Father's right hand, the promised Holy Spirit descended at Pentecost and ushered in the new era of the Spirit's fullness, indwelling believers and empowering them for life and service. The Spirit glorifies Christ, bears witness to him, convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He inspired the record of new covenant revelation and makes it effective in people's hearts through the gift of regeneration. He illuminates God's word to his people. He assures them of God's love, comforts them with his presence, intercedes on their behalf, and sanctifies them in conformity to the image of Christ. The Spirit is the bond of our union with Christ, the seal of our salvation, the first fruits of our redemption, and the guarantee of our inheritance. Far from being the least person in the Trinity, I mean, look at all that he does, all that he's doing. What a list. Maybe, maybe, we, should, maybe we should ask, what, what doesn't the Spirit do? The Spirit indwells all believers and empowers us for life and service to Christ. Along with being counted righteous before holy God, everyone who believes in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and lives unto him by denying themselves and walking in obedience to him as their Lord has not only had their heart regenerated to come alive to Christ, but have been given the gift of the indwelling spirit and empowering of the Holy Spirit to walk in the newness of life that they've been called to. He opens our eyes to see the glory of Christ and to know the intimate glories of following Christ. Romans 8, 15 through 17 says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. But it gives us power for hope as well. That's what the Spirit does. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Spirit you may abound in hope. Not just have a little bit of hope, not just wishful thinking. 
Hope in Christ today, hope in Christ for eternity. Not just a glimmer of hope, but that all who are in Christ and yield to the Spirit in the world would abound in hope. And, and I cannot help but think of Krishna and Joe Mantravati in this moment. Experiencing significant turmoil, potentially end-of-life kind of scenarios. We're all walking dead men and women. But she's in the hospital. Nobody's ready for anybody to go home to be with the Lord, but, but Krishna and Joe, Krishna in particular, after I spent time with Joe, and she went to sleep, Krishna and I went out and talked, and Krishna's hope in Christ was palpable. I just wanted to give him a big hug because it was like he was oozing hope in Christ. This is what the Spirit does. Spirit reminds him of truth, of hope in Christ, and fills him with a kind of joy that's intermixed with deep sorrow. I want some of that, more of that. And this is what the Spirit does. He gives God's people power for hope. We also gives God's people power for the gospel mission we're called to. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus is with us, certainly. He is ruling and reigning. But as we've considered, the Holy Spirit is the one by which we know the very presence of Christ with us. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one whom Jesus promised as a kind of replacement to carry on the teaching and testimony and mission of Jesus that he began. So he says in Acts 1.8, this is Jesus saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then Paul says a little bit later in Romans 15, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He, he gives us power for the gospel mission we're called to, and we'll consider the power for mission more in a couple of weeks from now. The Holy Spirit also gives power for prayer. Christians are exhorted to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is how Jesus prayed. He prayed in the Spirit. Mark, Mark Jones, again, rightly states, never was a prayer uttered before God from the lips of Christ that did not have the Holy Spirit working powerfully upon his human nature to enable him to speak the words the Father had given him to speak. And in this way, we aim to pray as our Lord prayed in the Spirit. And the Spirit, of course, is conforming us to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. So he gives us the same power to pray. And we will take time to pray together in just a few moments. Even when we don't necessarily feel power for prayer, which if you're like me is, you know, regular. Don't feel the unction to pray. And I just pray the same things or whatever. Listen to this promise. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us 
with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for you and for me according to the will of God. When we don't know what to pray, how often is that? Or when we feel our prayers are just uh, meandering or, or whatever, Spirit's always praying for us, always interceding for us, and that is significant good news. He gives also power for praise and for preaching and for spreading the message of the kingdom of God. He gives power to overcome sin, to put sin to death, and to put on Christ, to sanctify our motives and actions. This is what the Spirit does. He delivers us from the power and pollution of sin, and he cultivates in us the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control in our lives. This is what the Spirit is doing in us. He's working in us, always working, always moving in us. He makes known to us and in us the person and presence of Jesus, that we would know his presence. That's what I pray for, for, for Chris and Joe in particular, and Tom and Nancy. I pray that they would know the deep presence of Jesus by the Spirit. He throws a floodlight onto Jesus. Jesus does not stand in the background anywhere because the Spirit is continually putting him forward for us to see clearer and clearer and clearer. And you want to know the love of Christ that, passes, that, that, that is wonderful, that is wide and deep and long and high? You want to know him? You want to know his love for you? Spirit's doing that. Spirit's opening your eyes, opening your hearts, continually pointing him. So we sing songs that point to that, and we, we cling to that, and we say, Spirit, my, my mind and my heart is dull. Open my eyes to see wonderful things out of your law. Open my eyes to see the beauty of Christ, that my heart would be radically changed. And the Holy Spirit, on top of all of it, is a down payment, per se, for all believers, telling us that the kingdom of God is not just something in the future, although it certainly is, but it has come now in some aspect, and it will one day come to fruition. It's a down payment of that which is going to come. So anything that I would say, anything that, like those moments of deep joy, of abiding joy with Christ, just... Just our foretaste of glory to come. And he is our down payment. The Spirit is not a half-hearted down payment. He's not just this little thing that just kind of is nice to, nice to kind of latch on to. He is the God, third person of the Trinity, not the least person of the Trinity, the one who opens our eyes to see Christ and to find life in him. What a gift. We've been given. He, he certainly is a helper, like Jesus says in John 14. An advocate, uh, a, a paraclete helper, someone to come alongside of us, strengthening and encouraging. The promise of another helper being given to all those who are in Christ Jesus is just that. It's a, it's a promise if you're in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit as your helper. Like any relationship, though, we can cultivate that relationship. So here are a few ways that you could cultivate a relationship with the one that I've just been talking about and just skimming the surface about. So get to know the Spirit more and more. As mentioned earlier, the Spirit's a person, Divine person to be sure, but a person who can be known more and more. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, oh, my friend, we are just beginning. 
God's personality is so infinitely rich and manifold that it will take 1,000 years of close search and intimate communion to know even the outer edges of the glorious nature of God. When we talk about communion with God and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we're talking about that which begins now but will grow and increase and mature while life lasts. As we know him more and more, we will walk by the Spirit. We will listen to the Spirit. We will read Scripture and hear the Spirit speak to us through the preaching of the Word of God, through the hearing of the Word of God, by trusting in the Word of God, believing the Word of God, by the illumination of the Spirit as we read and as we learn the Spirit illumines Scripture to us, opens our eyes to see Christ, and we yield to him in increasing fashion. And in such a way, we get to know the Spirit more and more, and we start to hear the Spirit's voice. Secondly, be engrossed with and honor Jesus Christ above all. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The Spirit opens our eyes to see Christ clearly. Hopefully you've heard that this morning numerous times. To love him more and to know his love more. And as we see Christ and love Christ, we do so by the power of the Spirit and grow in unity and fellowship with him. If you are growing in your love for Jesus, guess who's been at work in your life? The Holy Spirit. 100% of the time. We walk with and by the Spirit when we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel with eyes on Jesus alone, entrusting our lives to him, truly honoring him as our Lord and King, truly our Lord and our King, not only by calling him Lord, but by living for him as our Lord, walking in righteousness and living for his kingdom above all. The salvation that we have received in Christ brings righteousness into our lives. Yes, we have all of Christ's righteousness imputed to us. That is our hope. But there is a work that that the Spirit is doing to conform us to the image of Christ, and we will be growing in righteousness. The grace of God that brings salvation teaches the heart that we should deny ungodliness, that we should deny lusts of the flesh and live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. So may we walk in the hope of the gospel by walking in the Spirit, by the Spirit, in righteousness that we may know the Lord more and more and grow in fellowship with the Spirit. So we have get to know the Spirit more and more, be engrossed with and honor Christ above all. Third, guard your thoughts. Keep your mind pure, stayed on him, fixed on him. Tozer again says this. He says, our thoughts largely decide the mood and weather and climate within our beings. And God considers our thoughts as part of us. They should be thoughts of peace, thoughts of pity and mercy and kindness, thoughts of charity, thoughts of God and the Son of God. These are pure things, good things, and high things. And if we desire to cultivate fellowship with the Holy Spirit whom we've been given, our minds ought not be a wilderness in which every kind of other thought makes its way into a place of priority. 
May the word of God burn most bright in our thoughts, not the incessant nature of podcasts, not entertainment choices that flood our lives, thoughts, actions, and relationships, but the word of God. May we put our phones away, shut the televisions off, meditate on the word of God, and like those godly men and women we read of in history who are imperfect and struggling just like us, they opened the word, they meditated on the word, they waited on the spirit, and their faith grew. Spirit illuminated the word of God, and our hearts grew in love for the Lord, but we are so consumed by may we be like them who were strengthened, empowered, comforted and helped amid the dark days in which they also lived by guarding our thoughts fixing our gaze on Christ finally practice his presence the reality is just as David speaks of in Psalm 139 there is no place where the Lord's presence is not. And the beauty of that is that if you have been given eyes to see him and love him by the regenerating work of the Spirit, you will find him right where you are. You don't have to go looking for him. You don't need to go to a special mountain. You don't need to go to a special location. You can enjoy his presence with you. You will find him where you are in your busy house, during your busy parenting life, during your difficult work day, in rush hour, in the, work, in the woods maybe when you're walking or in the meadow or at school or not to mention the privilege we have together here on Sunday mornings as we gather together. Friends, are there things in your life that tend to hide the face of Jesus from you? Are there things in your life that take the joy out of your spirit? Do they make the word of God a little less sweet? Do they make earth more desirable and heaven seem further away? May I exhort you to put those things away, friends. Repent of replacing your first love with something other than Christ Jesus and know God's forgiveness and be reacquainted with increasing fellowship with the gift of the Father through the Son, that is, the active presence of God among us, the Holy Spirit. And may rivers of living water gush over and through and all around the mundane, joy-filled and often difficult and confusing days of your life and fill you with joy and contentment and rest in God as you parent, as you go to school, as you deal with sickness, as you deal with dullness, as you embrace excitement, the Holy Spirit will be the one that fills you afresh regularly over and over and over again to lift your eyes, to see where your help indeed comes from, from God on high. May Christ be glorified in your life today by the power of the Spirit.